Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. How are we doing today? Do you realize it's the first Sunday in December? How many of you are getting nervous? Some of you are. Some of the kids have created these lists of expectations for what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. And to meet those expectations, well, we're going to need a miracle, right? It's that time of year where we get to celebrate a whole bunch of different things, and we love the opportunity to dive into the second week of this series that we've called The Land of Misfit Toys, taking a look at these peripheral characters in the Christmas story and how they were unique, just like you and I. And yet, despite that uniqueness, despite their challenges, they were an integral part of what was unfolding right before us and right around us in those moments, which is a fantastic thing. We talked last week a little bit about hope and how do we need to create hope in desperate situations, the invitations that are involved in those spaces. And this week, we're going to talk about peace. But before we talk about peace, we got to talk about the opposite of peace, which is fear. Yay, fear. We're going to talk a little bit about fear and how fear saturates our culture. I did a study this week, and I tried to figure out all of the names of the phobias that exist in our world. I got lost on Google for hours trying to uncover all these phobias. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little bit of fun because I picked four of these phobias that I thought were unique and interesting. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to split up this room into three spaces and three pieces. And I'm actually going to call out... Three volunteers, one that I've talked to, two that have no idea I'm calling them up on stage, talk about fear and being in front of people. It's going to be wonderful. And we're going to have a little bit of fun on figuring out what these definitions of fears are. So representing, representing our balcony is my friend Johnny Welch. He's going to come all the way down from here. And I've called you out now in public, man. So he's coming down. He's going to represent the balcony. Okay, now we have we have the... South side versus the north side, okay? I'm the dividing line right here in the middle. And so from the south side, we have my friend Patrick. He's going to come up. He's, he's panicking right now because I said his name out loud. He's hoping that there's another Patrick. There is not. I'm looking at you, my friend. Let's go. Patrick representing the south side. Talking about fear. This is so much fun. And representing the north side, everybody's getting nervous, right? Who do you want it to be? Exactly, everybody. Okay, so it's going to be Kenny. Kenny's right here in the front. Kenny's coming up representing the north side. Okay, right up here, gentlemen, right beside me. It's going to be amazing. Reluctance and hesitancy are parts of fear, and it's a good thing. All right, so your name, sir? Kenny. That's not on. It is on. Kenny. Hey. Patrick. Hey. Johnny. Perfect. Okay. Johnny, why don't you come right here in the middle? You're, you're, you're there. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So south side, Patrick's your guy, right? You got to make sure that he knows what you want him to vote for on your behalf. Balcony, this is your guy, right? Okay. They're, they're excited, man. So that's good. All you have to do is try and listen to, and do what they're telling you to do. Pick the right answer, okay? And north side, this is your guy. Sound good? All right. So these are uh, in no particular order. I'm going to explain all of this. For those of you online, you can participate individually. And those listening to the podcast later, well, you can also do this and just see how many you can get. So the first fear is this one. 
Nomophobia. Is it a fear of gnomes, a fear of being without a phone, or a fear of forgetting someone's name? You are campaigning for your individual to pick your decision and your choice, okay? You've got 15 seconds. Let's go. Lock them in, gentlemen. Lock them in. Okay. Uh, Patrick, what's your choice? I'm going to go with the crowd C. C, okay. C. I want to call a friend. <laughs> we just had a prayer time. Okay, so C, it's C. It's C. <laughs> all right. So are you all are guessing C? Yeah. Nobody wants the fear of gnomes, eh? It's actually B, fear of being without a phone, fear of being without a phone. This is the fear that captivates our millennial and Gen Z generations for days. Parents, if you want to create fear in your children, take away their phones, okay? They will not know what to do. They will panic a little bit. It's incredibly fascinating to watch what happens when you tease out somebody's fear. Okay, so nobody in this space got it right. Maybe online you got it right because you were using Google. Don't use Google, by the way. We shut off the Wi-Fi, so haha. Okay, here's the second one. Here's the second one. Two out of four. Arithmophobia. Is it the fear of numbers, the fear of scars, or the fear of fur? There you go. You go. Pick your choice. Campaign for your people. You got it locked in, gents? They're just, Johnny, they're not even helping you anymore. They got the first one wrong, and they're like, nope. He's on his own. All right. Locked in. What do you got? Uh, well, I heard a lot of things, but I'm going to go with A. A? Uh, a. A? A as well. A as well. They are all correct. It's the fear of numbers. So those of you who have suffered from the fear of numbers. This is, this is the fear that exists in my bank account, okay? There's a fear of numbers in my bank account. I don't know why. That's probably why it's just not growing. I don't know. Here's uh, fear number three. Here's a fun one. Plutophobia, fear of outer space, fear of Disney characters, or fear of money. Which one is it? All right, Johnny. Uh, I'm seeing B. <laughs> B, fear of Disney characters. That's got to be it for sure. A. A. Uh, let's go with what I'm hearing over there or just for fun, C. All right. It is actually C. Yeah, fear of money. Again, my bank account is so afraid it has both of these fears. Arithmophobia and Plutophobia, fear of money. Disney characters, though, really good. It's close, yeah, because, because, yeah, Disney characters, they're scary, legit, especially the mascots. All right, last one. Last one, Xanthophobia. Is it the fear of the color of yellow, fear of crossing the street, fear of losing your hair? Xanthophobia. 
Campaign for your individuals. So far we've got what? The north side's got two wins. Two correct? Is that correct? One and one? All right. Johnny, what do you got, bud? A. 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 All three are correct. It's the fear of the color yellow. Well done, well done. Give your, give your uh, representatives a hand. The north side takes this, so well done. I don't know if you want to shake hands, bro hug, whatever you guys want to do. You can fight later in the parking lot. Good job. Anna. Thanks, I appreciate you playing along. My wife's favorite band, or one of them is Coldplay. They have this song called Yellow, and in the phrase, in the, in the chorus, they have this phrase saying, and we are all yellow. That is the, the those, those phobia peoples, that's their worst fear right there. If we would all be xanthophobia, if we were all colored yellow, it's a wonderful thing. Now, fear is a funny thing as well. Like, some of us are afraid of things that maybe are insignificant, like insects. Some of us are afraid of insects. I have some children who will not go outside in the lovely heat because they're afraid an insect will fly by them. I don't know what they're afraid that insect will do, but it'll fly by them. It's interesting how fear could captivate us and encapsulate our attention more than almost anything else. Think about it. If we are afraid of people, what will we do? We will do everything in our power to ensure that we don't have to interact with people. If we're afraid of small talk, what do we do? We pretend that maybe we don't know how to speak, right? Have you ever wandered the streets of Montreal and pretended that you don't understand English or you don't understand French? Or in another country and you're like, well, I don't, I don't speak that local language. Or do you pretend that you actually don't hear? I have a friend of mine who used to do that for fun used to walk around and pretend that he couldn't hear what people were saying, all because he had a fear of small talk. Seems ludicrous, but we do crazy things to mitigate our fears. What if, instead of letting our fears control who we are, we take our fears and marry them with the, the element of peace and allow the peace of the Christmas season, the peace of the story of Jesus to satiate our fears so that we can move forward unafraid. What if we could do that consistently? What we're going to look at is we're going to look at the second characters of this Misfit Toys series, and we're going to take a look at the angels that played a role in Christmas. Over to my right and to your left, you'll see a depiction in our toy shop of what our angel looks like. I don't know if... He or she has a name. Call it out to me if you're a Studio C. All right, Angie it is. Perfect. Angie the angel. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive into understanding what the Christmas story looks like through the misfits that were angels. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke, the second chapter. I'm going to be looking at verses 8 through 14, and we're going to dive in this together. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Imagine being a part of this moment of the Christmas story. Sometimes when we think about Christmas, we think about only being involved in the manger scene. When the child shows up for the first time, what kind of animals or other elements were involved in that scenario in this moment. But this other scene and scenario is a huge part of the Christmas story. This is when the news about this baby starts to spread beyond the nuclear family. Joseph didn't tweet on his social media, hey, look at this, King Jesus is here. He had no way to communicate. And so instead of that medium platform, God used his own narrative and way to communicate, and he used angels. Now, angels are one of those interesting characters. If you are a fan of literature or a fan of cinema, all sorts of depictions of what angels looked like, what angels sounded like, and the purpose of angels are out there. You can get lost in a study of trying to figure out the origins of angels. And so what we're going to do here is spend a few moments together from a biblical perspective uncovering the origin story of angels themselves. Where did they come from? What were they made for? And what are they all about? The origin story of angels. In order to do that, we're going to look at a couple of other scriptures. The first one that I'm going to read out for us is from the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, I believe. They read like this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. When understanding the role of angels, not only in our world today, but in the Christmas story, it's important for us to know that they too are created beings. They aren't individual gods that are to be worshipped. They're not individual kingdoms that should be pursued or anything like that. They are created beings like you and like I. What sets us as human beings apart from angels is that we are the only part of all of creation that is created in the image of our creator, the Imago Dei. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 is our reference for that piece. That means as human beings, we are created uniquely above and beyond all of the rest of creation. However, angels can do things that you and I can't. They can disappear. Isn't that crazy? They can go unseen by us today. We could be walking around going from point A to point B and not know that we have interacted or been around an angel. Now you're going like, whoa, Jason, we are getting into uncharted territory here. What are you talking about? 
In our world today, there are forces that are unseen, forces of good and forces of evil. We can't see them with our physical eyes. They are at work and at play all over the place. The forces of evil are trying to create destruction. Internally and externally, wherever they go, chaos, destruction. Have you ever walked into a conversation with a good friend of yours and all of a sudden you start fighting and you have no idea why you're fighting about something? Something trivial? Somebody turned on a dime and they got all upset and you're like, what's going on? They could be be influenced by some of these chaotic evil forces trying to create dissension and disconnect and frustration in that relationship. These are at play all around us. The cool thing about the origin of angels, they were created for a purpose. That purpose is outlined, I think, more, more succinctly than any, anywhere else in the Bible for me personally in uh, the book of Psalms 148, chapter 148, verses 2 through 5. They read like this. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command, and they came into being. The purpose of angels, just like all other created things, was primarily foremost to worship, to praise To be a part of pointing people to the reality of their creator, who God is, what he's all about, what he has intended for life to be experienced, how how that can come to be. All these brilliant things, angels were created for this. In our origin story, the, the first kind of few chapters of the book of Genesis, humankind, we find out that we're not only created in God's image, but somewhere along the line, We believe the lie that we can be equal to and even greater than God. We believe the lie, essentially, that we ourselves can be our own God, just like God in so many ways. What happens is this scene plays out in the beginning part of Genesis chapter 3. The first human beings, Eve and Adam, they are tempted. They are tempted by the adversary, who is also this created being, a former angel that he himself thought was worthy of more than what his created place and purpose in the world was. Satan. And so what he did is he tempted Eve to, to be the first one to choose for herself, to elevate herself, to be better than or equal to God. What's really interesting is at this moment in time, we see a little snapshot of what took place previously in the heavenly realms that went unseen. See, all of angels, as created beings, were made for worship. And then one of them, this adversary, Satan, decided that he could be a a pinnacle of worship, an object of worship, just like his creator could be. And he started convincing a whole number of his fellow angels to agree with him. So much so, so much dissent and frustration and anxiety and trouble took place in the heavenly realms that they started to fight. Literally. 
This created being that was an object of worship now became an object of war. Good versus evil. And in the process of that war, the scripture tells us one-third of all the created heavenly beings sided with Satan. And they were cast out of the heavenly realms and created as eternal adversaries to God and his kingdom of light. So you got these two polarized groups of angels and now demons that are constantly warring with each other that were originally created as, as moments and expressions of worship and instead became an expression of war. And when I think about the Christmas story, I can't help but think about that reality a little bit further. This story that is meant to be a catalyst of hope has often been a caveat for chaos, a caveat for disagreement or dissent, a caveat for war. It's always been interesting as somewhat of a history buff now in my older years, depending on who you talk to, that every time we as human beings have been desiring to pursue peace, war has been involved. November 11th, every single year, we celebrate the men and the women who have served and are serving in our military forces, many of whom who have given their lives physically in order to secure and sustain our peace. See, in a human understanding of the, the reality of peace, we cannot disassociate the pursuit of peace without the presence of war. We don't know how to get to agreement without a fight. We don't know how to get to our preferred destination outcome without some sort of struggle. The object of war is really personified in the board game of risk. If you've ever played it, the goal of risk is to have world domination and to decimate your enemies. What's interesting when we get to the Christmas story and this baby King Jesus that is born is these objects of war now become restored to their original design and purpose to be instruments of worship. That night, not too far away from the place where Jesus showed up on earth in human form, birthed from his mom's uterus, there were shepherds hanging out with their sheep in pastures, keeping them safe, making sure that they had what they needed to sustain their lives. And in the moment of that quiet, and maybe even a little bit of that chaos, these angels showed up. Now, Jewish culture at the time, angels were known as objects of war. Not objects of worship, not things to be worshipped, but things to fear. Things to fear, and rightfully so. If you've never seen the northern lights before, and your very first time seeing the northern lights, 
is out in Western Canada as a young little individual, you might be thinking that aliens are coming to our planet to abduct you. Stuff is dancing in the sky and moving around. And you maybe you've seen a star before, but you haven't seen what this wavy dancing northern light looks like. You could be afraid. And depending on your personality, you could be drawn to that. And you could be curious. And some of us, we are drawn to fear. And some of us are polarized by it. And on that night, you've got this unprecedented event show up where this angel shows up in the sky, says, don't be afraid, speaks directly to the fear. Something amazing has happened. The Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for, is finally here. Sometimes these agents of war can become messengers of hope and peace in the moment. I'm proud to be Canadian for so many reasons. One of the biggest reasons why I'm proud to be Canadian is on a global stage, Canadians are known for their military prowess around peacekeeping. When there is dissension globally, tension between two warring factions, a lot of times Canada is asked for its peacekeepers to help create a level of stability in a tumultuous area. I find that to be incredible. These agents of war are sent in to create peace. These agents of war, the armies of heaven, are sent in to this particular scene, this moment in time of the Christmas story, not to create further fear and terror and chaos, but to create peace. To be advocates for peace in the moment. And I don't know about you, but that would seem completely contrary to how the experience would have unfolded as a shepherd in that hillside country with the sheep, with the things that I'm familiar with, the dangers that I'm aware of, something unknown pops up in the sky, tells me something, and then is joined by a multitude, an innumerable amount of other people who then start to sing praise and worship. I would definitely be checking my canteen and wondering what I'd been drinking. It's confusing. Something entirely out of, the nor- or out of the ordinary. I find it fascinating that God chose to send these misfit angels, beings that were created for worship that became objects of war, now live in this restored reality of recentering all of creation around its original design and purpose and an invitation and a call to worship. Restoring all things, those that are seen and unseen, that's the power of Christmas and the reality of the Christmas story. But sometimes we glaze past that because we don't see the value in the role that the angels play because we just don't understand who they are and what their purpose is and what they've been made for. And just like we blaze past angels and we blaze past other elements of the Christmas story, we can blaze past the people around us through our busyness, through our disagreements, through our differing opinions or differing agendas, 
And we can fail to see that they too play an integral part of God's greater unfolding story in our lives, around our lives, and maybe even through our lives. My hope and goal for us here today is to understand the reality that every single being, whether we agree with all their decisions or do not, is not only a created image bearer of the risen king, they're also somebody that could teach us a little bit more about the greatness of who God is. I want you to picture one of those people in your life right now that is really difficult to get along with. Maybe they are uh, a teammate. Hopefully it's not your spouse. If it is, that too can be overcome. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's one of your extended family. I've got a really odd extended family, and they would describe me in the same frame. When I look at my history and family line and lineage, I can find all sorts of reasons to believe that God is not a fair and just God. I've got a cousin that married into the family that years ago decided to change his gender, end his marriage, and walk away from his kids. I've got family members that struggle with mental health issues. On their good days, they're awesome. On their bad days, they are terrors to be around. I've got people that are easy to love because they are kind, and I've got people that don't know how to say anything kind out of their mouths. All that comes out is venom and chaos. I've got people that vote the same way that I do, and people that tell me how to vote and really discourage me when I don't listen to their opinions. I've got people that think certain things of me and people that think others. Some of it's positive and most of it is useless. If you look at your extended family, your family of origin, even your church family, you're going to find people of all kinds that may not entirely agree with you all of the time. And in those moments, instead of fear guiding us forward, what if we allowed peace to reign? See, when Dwayne made his decision to walk away from his family, there was nothing that I could do, but I could pray. When your family member's having a tough day and they're on their downward slope and their bipolar journey, there's nothing that you can do in the moment, but you can pray. Sometimes the reality is in our lives, things are beyond our control and our influence, unlike what our world tells us. There are things that we can do to influence our circumstances and our situation. Absolutely. Here's a one simple tip, okay? If you're stressing about finances over the holidays, don't spend what you don't have. Simple. Very hard to put into practice 
when you have 0% financing for the next 52 years or whatever it might be. It's hard to put those things into practice. I get it. I understand. We feel the weight of responsibility and expectation and all of the rest of that stuff around us. But if we want peace to reign, we're going to have to recognize where it ultimately lies, and that is at the feet of Jesus. The fear, the pressure, the unknowns that these shepherds would have experienced, shepherds doing shepherding things, tending their flock, making sure that the sheep were provided for and protected in all of those spaces, They still needed to recognize that even in their known and familiar things, there's a larger story at play. And even in our known and familiar elements of our lives, there's a larger story at play. And that story is this beautiful orchestra that God is creating in the world around us, using people of all different kinds, shapes and sizes, backgrounds and ethnicities, all of that working together to weave a perfectly unified symphony when we're willing to play our part. So you might be thinking, Jason, what is our part in that process? What is our part in this Christmas story? It's exactly the role that the angels were invited to play. When we know Jesus, our role in his symphony is to declare worship by how we live and what we choose to say. How we choose to interact with people. Every single act that we engage in, those that are seen and unseen, can be an expression of worship. And worship in and of itself is not just an expression of love. It's a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of trust. That's what allows us in the unknown moments of our lives to continue to pursue worship. Not just I'm not talking about music That's an element of worship. I'm talking about the multiple faceted reality that worship is. When we are worshiping God, trusting him, we can look at all of the the creditors and the bills coming in and things that are looking overwhelming and we're going, I don't know what to do. And we can still choose peace in that moment because we trust that God is not only going to walk with us through this chaos, he's also going to refine us along the way. Maybe change the way we think about something. Maybe change our practices and our habits so that we've got the margin that we need to live in and from peace. When I think about the misfits of the angels, that's what I'm reminded of. These created beings who lost their way, who are created as an expression of worship for the purpose of reflecting worship to their creator who became then an agent of war who now are reestablished and restored as messengers of hope and peace. That's not unlike you and I. And to live into that reality, we need to submit all of ourselves on a daily moment-by-moment basis. Our agendas, our plans, our thoughts, our ideas, our preferences our opinions, of which we all have many. 
to Jesus and allow him to reshape them and refine them. With regards to fear, let, let, me, let me say it like this. What if your greatest fear could be your greatest expression of worship in waiting? What if your greatest fear could be your greatest expression of worship in waiting? Worship meaning a declaration of trust. If you're afraid that you're going to live life by yourself for forever, what if your expression of trust could be like, God, whatever you have for me, whether that's singleness from now till the day I die or marriage or just a whole bunch of great friends around me, whatever that expression looks like, I can trust you. What if that's staring down the, the barrel of a, of a terminal diagnosis and saying, okay, whether I make it out of this, on this side of eternity or not, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to declare that you are king in the midst of my pain. When the fear is overwhelming, when the fear is absolutely captivating, I can express worship through trust. Because the reality is this, all of us will perish one day. It's not a matter of when or if, it's a matter of when. And along the way, we can express worship, worship in how we do. One of the greatest moments of my life was sitting beside the bedside of my friend Lydia in palliative care, a senior who had befriended me, and we were good buddies. And I was there to say goodbye to my friend, and in that moment, she would not let me say farewell. Instead, she spoke words of hope and worship and life over me. I was there to bring her comfort. She was ready. Instead, she was bringing hope and peace and love and joy to every single person, related or not, that came into her orbit in those last moments. In the moments of great high and great low, we are invited. We're invited to worship. And so I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you this holiday season because holiday seasons are unique. They bring up all sorts of stuff. Holiday seasons can be challenging. So holiday seasons can be very exciting, but challenging as well. And in the, those moments of challenge and excitement, are we in a posture of declaring worship? Because when we do and when we are, that's what it means to live in and embrace peace. Trusting God's plan at God's time in God's moment and in God's way. If you don't know peace, it's really simple. The way to to understand and begin the journey and adventure to uncovering it is recognizing that Jesus is who he says that he is. A Messiah, the one came that has come to save us all. And the simple way of, of kind of initiating that connection with him is just crying out and say, hey, let's explore this together. I've tried so many other things in my life, and nothing has given me the peace that I so crave. Would you help me find rest and peace for my very soul? 
in that kind of declaration of trust and that invitation, you will find that God will never leave you hanging. And he will walk with you and comfort you and guide you in all things and through all things. If you feel like a misfit today, be reminded that there is peace available to you and to me. All we need to do is embrace it. Now, perhaps your greatest fear could be your greatest expression of worship. If you would allow peace to guide you forward. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word and your scripture. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there was anything that came from my mouth that was not helpful in guiding people to understand more about you, that that would fade away and instead it would be you and your truth and your presence that would reign in our hearts and in our minds. As we spend some time declaring in worship not only a love for you, but a trust in you, Holy Spirit, would you guide us, refine us, and remind us of the, the ways that we are changing to become who we've been created to be, our identity restored, and remind us of those spaces where you still want to work. Would you forgive us of those moments and those times when we refuse to be peacekeepers and instead live and embrace this idea of being an agent of war? Would you allow us instead to, to see your truth and to see your path forward instead of clinging what we think, to what we think might be best in the moment. Father, you are king, we are not. We're so grateful that you invite us and call us by name to be your kids. Would you bless and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us? Would you grant us your favor and your peace? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.